All right, here we go. We're recording now, right? Okay, so uh, I'm going to try, and, as I mentioned last week on our other podcast or panel, I'm going to try and do a few of these this month. It's really just a way to reconnect with my friends and um, talk about music and whatever else, talk about the year. So I brought on three more of my good podcasting buddies for this conversation. Let's start with you, Joe Royland. You're from Sit and Spin. What's the state? What's the state of Sit and Spin these days? Well, I tried getting the show going back up again this year. I actually got a couple or a few episodes out. Uh, I had a, a few more I was going to do, and as usual, life gets in the way, and I just uh, ran out of time and, and mostly time to do it. Yeah. It's just it's always uh, the the big issue. But I, I at least tried getting it back up and going. Won't say it won't start happening again, but uh, time is my biggest issue. Yeah. Well, much like last week with Eric Miller, who's basically retired from podcasting and BJ, who might be too, we're still all friends here, and we still are yeah. kind of part of the same community. We're all friends and here, so we're not. Uh, well, we're definitely all friends here, but we. Um, I still wanted to include you for sure, Ben. Thank you, Ben Montgomery from Records Revisited. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Good. Good. What uh, What have you got going on this week? What episode's coming up? Is it a secret? Um, it is uh, one of our Patreon revisitors. One of oh. uh, one one of those episodes. So um, one of your listeners, Carly Anderson. Love Carly. Yes. Yeah. So we're we uh, we've got a uh, Pixies episode. Good. That's that's what she picked for for her episode. So very yeah. good. I love Carly. She's such a she's, she's a great. boon to this community for yeah, sure. She's great. Yep. And then Ken Mills. How about you? What? How many different podcasts are you doing these days, or have you largely retired too? Well, I, I'm not quite ready to say former podcaster, you know, obviously I'm here today. Right. But, uh, I am not, it is not what it was for me. Uh, yeah. there's varying reasons for that. We don't need to get into them here, but everything's good. I'm okay. I'm spending more time in the physical world, uh, and not so much the digital world, right. In the material world. I exactly. You know, that's, you know, mm. that sort of thing, you know, yeah. digestive biscuits and all. <laughs> uh, but the thing of this is that um, I, I have a lot of shows, but, and I've been doing them every so often. Like we've done like six episodes of cheap talk and cheap trick podcast. The show that's gotten nothing from me is the pop with Ken Mills. Yeah. It's, it's just mm. it, radio silence over there. And I'm not worried about pod fade, you know, it, I I will eventually get back to doing something. There's a hint there. Get back. There's a hint. Uh, but the, still doing the podcast and the kiss room still doing its thing. Uh, we we've done about I think ten episodes this year, hmm. and uh, Zilch still comes out pretty much monthly. Uh, my team is kind of running it, and I do every other episode basically. Okay. Okay, and I and I can can I just say uh, a big thanks to Ken because Ken is the the man behind our logo redesign. Oh, so really? You can. A lot great. of people refer to me as a behind, so I, I appreciate. <laughs> that, I think uh, you know some people run away from the human centipede. I embrace it anyway. No, um, you you are more than welcome, Ben. I'm glad to help out our fellow podcast. Yeah, you knocked it out of the park, and all mm. of our all I of love our it listeners too. love it. So yeah. and you know, if great. if I keep helping podcasters, someday they might give me the nickname Podfather. One day Maybe. you can only hope, aspire to that. Yeah. I'll tell you, um, my wife, her, her eyes roll so far into the back of her head when somebody will like meet us somewhere 
and they're all like, you're the pod father. And she's uh-huh. like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I get that. It's, it's better yeah. than what people say around me. They're like, oh, you're you're that guy with Wayne. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, man. It's harsh. Uh, yeah. It, our guests all love Wayne more than me. So, you know. Oh, uh, you don't the, know that. They just it's... they just whisper it behind your back. It's not confirmed. No, don't, I heard it. Don't I've take it. it. Oh, OK. It. Well, yeah. Well, this I love you. Good. Thank well, you. I'm not Thank commenting you. on Wayne's post all the time. So there's that. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so, um, John, what have you yeah. assembled this League of Motley crew podcaster type individuals to discuss this fine day? <laughs> well, I thought it would be fun to talk about Get Back in greater depth. Last week, I when uh, Brad and Eric and BJ came on, they had all seen it. I had not. Um, I watched it this week. I have some thoughts and opinions about it and i thought you guys would as well have we all finished it has yes. everyone watched all yes. three episodes okay yeah i don't twice. know that that okay good twice did you say <laughs> oh my gosh yeah so, my, my own my own podcast episode last week um is probably not going to be one of our better podcasts because i i did not do as much research as i probably should have for the episode because i spent eight hours of my life watching get back Goodness. don't you yeah. understand i, I should... have to get back to the beatles they're learning a song <laughs> i should say like once and a half because again with the time thing mm-hmm. uh there would be times i would be watching it late at night and of course i would drift off so then i would have to go back and try to figure out is this where i left off and mm-hmm. watch it again and so more wow. like once and a half I am uh, one and one hundred sixteenths of one hundredth of sixteenths, uh, meaning that it has now entered the phase of the what I call shop, socks and shoes theater. And that is I will watch something. Someone will recommend a show or a movie. And that is the show I will watch until it's done every day when I put on my socks and shoes. OK, yep. <laughs> so it has become my new socks and shoes theater uh, program. So I've, that's going to last for a year at this point. You know Good. what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's great. I love it. it. It is it is manna from heaven for my is it? eyes and ears. Yes, uh, you're uh, I mean, I think we're all Beatle fans. But when I think of the out of the four of us, Ken, you're one of the biggest ones. What's your take mm. on it? My feeling is that it's a it's a it's a historical document. It's a fascinating. You talk about manna from heaven. It, it's true. It's a miracle that we have mm-hmm. this. If it were any other band, no one would care. But it's nice to have eight hours of the Beatles at doing anything. Um, we're lucky that it's this making an album. What is good and bad about this about the show, Ken? Okay, the bad of it is having to slog through some of the things that just don't seem to amount to anything. Right. But that's, that's when you're in a band, that's what you do. Specifically. What what are you talking about? Well, like for example, some of this, let it be is not my favorite Beatles album. And uh, Mm. I don't know if that was because as it was coming out, it was like associated with the breakup of the Beatles. And I've been like, you know, scarred ever since. I don't know, but just some of the songs feel not finished and of course now we know especially anyone who's seen this their goal was an insane goal there's no band that could pull this off okay you've got 14 days you're going to write an album and then perform it Mm -hmm. 
that doesn't work. And then to have the songs be any good. So if the songs aren't as great as anything else in their catalog, it's kind of understandable. On the other hand, uh, you know, let's kind of look at the tail of the tapes, right? You can look at uh, in 1971, Let It Be won the Grammy Award for the best original score written for a motion picture television special. It was ranked number 86 in Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest albums of all time in 2003 and so on and so forth. But let's Too take, high. you know, again, we're looking at that tail of the tape. How many times do you get to see a band sit down and write not one album, not two albums, but what is potentially three other albums in that Paul was working on songs for his solo albums. John's jealous guy was there. Uh, All things must pass. Isn't it a pity? All these things. So they weren't just writing, let it be the album. They weren't just writing Abbey road, which we pretty much heard almost everything that was wound up on Abbey road. Mm -hmm. But we also saw those other things, you know, this was in a span of, they did, they just done the white album seven weeks ago. They did this and it seemed so dismal and it's all over. If you watch the one movie and then they went and recorded Abbey road. And I think that's one of the problems that we have in our culture is that I think most of what we look at in pop culture is most people think they did Sergeant Peppers, then a couple other things. Then they did Abbey Road, and then they did Let It Be, and they ended on the rooftop. I really think that that is how most average people mm. think about this, because that was the narrative that was given them. Mm-hmm. And the problem with once something's entered into the narrative is that that becomes the story, because someone will say, well, I read in this book, well, I, and I'm writing my book, so I'll rewrite that chapter. And then someone reads that, those two books, and so on and so forth. Like I was, I was looking at in my notes, I was looking up uh, which, which day happened on what day. And I was reading Wikipedia because it was just faster than going to get one of my heavy tomes of, you know, scripture about the Beatles (laughs) and and, uh, plus my back hurts. And I was looking at some of the things that happened on these days. And I'm like, well, a lot of Beatle experts are going to have to spend a lot of time rewriting things Mm. that we know that are not true now on wikipedia so yeah joe what's one of your biggest takeaways a few of them that was to me when one of the amazing things about it is pretty much what ken was just saying is that how much music they actually made in such a short time frame i mean you figure they came out of doing this and three weeks later they're doing abbey road and how many of those songs were born then and just it it just amazed me because i never was really able to see the puzzle in that way. Like Ken was saying, it's like one of the big things about this documentary is it dispels a lot of that mythology that we grow up believing uh, that it turns out wasn't necessarily true. You know, there's a whole other narrative that this movie lays out and, you know, like these guys weren't totally fighting all the time. It was sure. It ended up being the breakup of the Beatles, but not then eventually, but not at that point. Um, and it was just great to see them having, even though there were parts where they're arguing, it was great to see them having fun. And those moments that they realized, damn, we're actually a pretty goddamn good band when we sit there and play and just let all the BS go to the side. You know, there, there's they could just untouchable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, okay. God, you know, and the fact that they weren't even 30 years old when this was happening. You know, all of them were still in their 20s. It's insane. Yeah. You know? 
Ben, what are your some of your big takeaways? Uh, <clears throat> I would say the uh, just watching the creative process of all those guys was was fascinating, especially with McCartney. I mean, he would yeah. just sit at the piano and knock out a song, and you're like, "Holy crap! What did that just happen?" Mm-hmm. Um, so that was fascinating to me. That I was always confused about the the political dynamics of the band. Like mm-hmm. you 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 heard lots of stories about, well, it was John who was the dictator, or no, it was Paul who was the dictator, or no, you know, George, um, you know was just George and and it was fascinating to watch the the dynamics of it especially yeah. that that hidden mm-hmm. the hidden microphone session mm-hmm. where you know Paul and John are are talking things out and um you know they realized that they couldn't do it without George and knew that they needed to to go give him a a a, a big group hug and bring him back to the fold and that kind of deal and but but on the same token, you see the dynamics of George was um, George A didn't assert himself as much as he probably should have. But B, he was dealing with two other alphas, mm-hmm. which would just make it really hard. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Of tra- and and the fact that that they chose some of his, I would say not as good as songs mm-hmm. for for let it be like he he got to keep the good songs for yeah. all things must right pass. yeah um i have a point about that though yeah what um there was a scene where george is talking about how he's got all these songs and someday he'd like to do something john's like you should do it you should do a solo album yeah. because at this point george had already done the soundtrack to wonderwall And John had done, I think, two virgins with Yoko at this point. So Paul had done some soundtrack work. So this was they were testing their their they were flexing their reach. You know what I mean? So at that point, not only would that give, uh, you know, if George was seeking John's permission to go out on his own and record for sure, he was also getting it back from George, too. Right. And George says at this, and which which was George, George was thinking we can do our own thing and keep the Beatles going. Right. So that, that was wasn't the point I was like, going to make. Yeah, it wasn't like we're going to just jump off the boat and be gone forever, right? But you know, you say that George saved uh, his best songs. I don't look at it that way. I think that George thought the only way I can make these sound good is for me just to stand there with an acoustic guitar. Cause he made that point at one point, he says, they're all waltzes, which here's a little like clue for you all. Uh, if you, if you hear the waltz timing in like any Beatles songs, George Harrison is responsible for that. I'm not kidding. He loves waltzes, uh, like that part in, we can work it out with, you know, Dun, 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 right, dun. Right. that's that's george that's george's influence seriously but george is he's saying look you've got this commonwealth or get back thing and john's got a couple things but there's no real rockers on this album mm-hmm. so george said to paul everything i'm doing is a waltz i i wish i could write something fast so when he literally found for you blue and the other one it was like I'm doing something that I want. I, I'm bringing some energy to this project, you know? Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, okay. I'll list out some of my takeaways. Number one, I feel like there's enough 
material there that people can take away. I feel like people are going to take away whatever they want to take away from this. I think if you went in, like I've heard a lot of people saying that uh, George comes off as a real whiner. And I didn't mm-hmm. necessarily feel that way. I did feel like I could I could uh, em- empathize with George a little bit that he's this guy who wants to say something, like Ben was talking about earlier, has something to say, has a point of view, but he doesn't get to express it like he wants to because of the two alphas in the room. And so he stays quiet and he's, he's not good at staying quiet, whereas Ringo is good at staying quiet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's not my only take- that, not only that, John and Paul have this weird ESP thing. Yeah, they're yeah. not even like saying full sentences, you know, go walk and it's 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 almost yeah. like the twins, you know, twins have their own language, right? John yeah. and Paul were kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when they Paul addresses on, that. Yeah. Go yeah. On. Well, I was, was going to say, Paul, oh, go ahead, Joe. No, John, go ahead. Well, I just thought I think I think people can pull out of this whatever you whatever narrative you want to pull out of mm-hmm. this. Yeah, because um, there's so much in- information there that you can much like the Bible, you can read it however you want to read it um, to fit a narrative or not. You're wrong, John. I, <laughs> <see>. <laughs> um, another one of my takeaways is that I never felt as if um, everyone and we were just kind of touching on this. Everyone's personality came out so thoroughly and clearly in this. And it never felt to me that Paul was the boss, but it did feel to me that Paul wanted this more than anyone else. Paul oh, is the guy. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Paul's the guy who's comfortable sitting there for 12 hours doing things over and over again until he gets it right. And he would be there. He's there by choice. John can swoop in and out. Ringo's there because he has to be. George probably can isn't sure what he wants. But I just got the feeling. I didn't feel like Paul was a dictator. But to three other guys who could give or take, uh, who could take a long lunch, who could sleep in, who could sneak off for a heroin injection or whatever. Uh, he may have felt like a dictator to them because he was the only guy who was focused all 12 hours every day. Um, I also think for sure it dispels any myths that Yoko broke anyone up. I did think it was odd that she was sitting there the whole time, but she did hardly ever talks. So it's not like I, I was more annoyed. And please don't let her sing. Oh, oh gosh. gosh. I love those, her singing. Those, Bring those it on. You? Really? Those she invented moments. thrash. Uh, those wow. couple moments I, where she sings, I'm just like those were the hardest oh. parts for me to yeah, get through. They were, they were tough. Yeah. No, he, here's uh. the thing. Uh, I actually own like six. I think it's six now. Yoko albums. Okay. I've got and one I, for sale at on eBay. If, well, if you want to buy, if that. you hate it that much, I'll take it for free, lad. You know. Um, but the thing is, is that uh, she, she's her own genre she's her own style right and you know that that day after george quit which by the way the most jovial splitting up of a band i've ever seen or heard but we'll get to that but when they're like they're they're like doing thrash and john's like doing feedback and she's like ah and ringles it was like how is that any different i don't understand guys who like love thrash music but think yoko is like weird it's like it's sounds like barking dogs with a drill press and you're okay with that you call that music but this is not music you know it's just weird what we will tolerate and what we won't and i think sadly and i'm not accusing i don't like thrash so yeah yeah. well i i just want to go on record (laughs) the statement that i'm going to say is i think that it's kind of racist that a lot of people are anti yoko because like linda went over and started playing keyboards and i ain't heard anybody once say ah oh, that she's 
you know, screw her. What was she doing yeah. that for? And but when when I did I have, see her touch the keyboards, I went, <gasps> if she only knew that in five years she'd be on Madison Square Garden playing in front of twenty thousand people. I will say. It was charming that Heather Eastman was then went over and sang on the mic and she's like singing like Yoko. That was charming. (laughs) (laughs) Now, now keep in mind, I'm not like a huge Yoko fan in the sense that like I want to have everything she's ever done. But some of her stuff, I really appreciate her writing and where it's coming from and some of her delivery on it. Some of it is dreck. Some of yeah. it is great. I feel that way about David Byrne or just about anybody. I feel that way about mm-hmm. George Harrison and Paul McCartney and John Lennon. So yeah, even Ringo. So yeah, uh, or Rich, Richie, as, as I now call right. him. R. I feel R. like R. we're friends R. now, you know. Yeah. Uh, but maybe it's maybe it's having maybe it's having Yoko forced upon you in that environment. If I'm listening to the Beatles, yeah. her what she's doing is so foreign and so out there comparatively that it's a, it's too much. It's too abrasive to me. Whereas oh. if I'm listening to ministry and Yoko is going to scream on a song, that's fine. Yeah. That's all still within kind of a context. Right. She was exactly. probably too foreign, too different from what people would check into the Beatles for, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I thought that moment with Heather uh, aping Yoko's skill was like a trip, you know. That was yeah. funny. And yeah. John's like, "Are you going to eat the kittens?" You know, and <laughs> yeah, no, that, you don't uh, eat them. You don't eat them. You, why would you eat the kittens? You know, right? But uh, uh, I'll tell you that one of the people that I was so impressed, uh, two of them, was uh, Glenn Johns and George Martin for two different reasons. Um, I know that there's like some books and I'm doubting all of them now because we've seen this. I wonder how true this, that, or the other thing is, but at one point there was uh, it's, it's in some book. I, again, don't ask me to dig out the tome, but where Paul was doing a take during the white album and George Martin said, I think you can get a better take on that. And George, John, Paul says something, why don't you blank and come in and try it? And he like said, okay, very well. And he put on his coat and told the engineer I'm off for vacation for two weeks. We'll see you. And that he didn't have anything to do with let it be that's almost the entirety of the myth was is that george martin had nothing to do with let it be and he's there the entirety of it for the most part and he was there's often i say that the the complaints people have about things tell a lot about themselves okay i am a person that doesn't necessarily want to control things but i want to fix things for you i'm the kind of guy that if you come to me and say look i have a problem i'm going to tell you by the time we're done how to fix that problem john you've you you know what i'm talking about i've done that with you yes so the thing is is that I couldn't have done what George Martin did because I would have been like, oh, you guys want to fix this? I can show you. Remember that part where Magic uh, Alex or whatever his name was had built this like studio that didn't work. There were speakers and fabric and all this weird stuff going on and it wasn't conducive to recording. Glenn Johns built a recording studio. That was great. But George Martin was the one who waited for Paul to come up to him and say, it's great what we're getting on recording, but we can't hear ourselves. And he's like, oh, would you like me to do something about that? Because, you know, he could have fixed that at any time through the whole time. Mm. But he was there on the floor reading a newspaper, making sure everything's okay, but not interfering. 
that guy has the patience of Saul or Job yeah. or whatever the saying is, you know, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. And and Glenn Johns to like put up with all the the abuse that he put up, which was kind of funny. That I mean, just think it's it, we were watching a Disney show and it says on the thing tobacco use, you know, like that's the warning. Not like parents later you're going to hear Glenn Johns interrupt uh, John and Paul, and John's going to say, "Do you know who you're talking to? We're celebrities. We're <laughs> we're fucking stars." And then Paul says, "Yeah, fuck face. That was on Disney." <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, I did think it was uh, one thing, another takeaway that I had about Linda is I was listening to an interview, I think it was on Fresh Air with Stella McCartney a few years mm -hmm. ago, and Terry Gross had asked why it is that people um, have this perception that Linda was not very attractive and that maybe Paul, maybe the idea is that Paul was so cute that he could have had anybody and why would he have picked Linda? Linda, to me, first of all, she was much prettier than I thought she would be. And yeah. she seemed like such a solid force. I mean, mm -hmm. um, she didn't, she allowed them to be creative. She didn't need to be there every day. She popped in a couple of times for support. She said interesting, thoughtful, strong things. Probably some of that has to do with, I think she had sort of been around the music industry for a few years before that. Probably, I think she had dated other people or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. But I thought she was, I, I got why Linda and Paul were such a great team for so long, because if I were, if I had the chance to have Linda uh, McCartney around, I would too. She seems like a really good force for good. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah. There's two moments I want to like, kind of pick our brains on. Uh, you know, we always thought like the bone of contention was Paul was telling George what to play or not play in that whole scene, which turns out to be almost nothing. Right. Mm -hmm. But then we get to that point where they're talking about them going to recce cash and Paul's saying, like, you looked like a right, proper student to John, you know, because John's walking around like, oh, like he's a disciple to, you know, the savior and all that. And, and instead of like really letting themselves out they were kind of uh, living a lie, like trying to be the one who got the good grade on the test. Does that make any sense? Yep, As opposed explain. to like doing the actual work. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, it, at one point there's this thing that happens where Paul's saying, um, you know, we should have been ourselves more the sad thing you know this is a quote the sad thing you know is that we probably should have uh pauses john answers been ourselves yeah a lot more yeah hmm. george says that is that is the biggest joke the biggest joke to be yourselves because that was the purpose of going there to try to find out who yourself really is yeah well we found out didn't we said john and george says and if you were really yourself, you wouldn't be any of whom you are now. So what George was kind of saying is, had you done the work in Recky Cash, you may be grounded. You may be maybe not needing to be on here and maybe not needing the Beatles. And maybe you could just be more chill during this whole process. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we were saying something about like, uh, you know, George is almost like doesn't want to say anything. Boy, he said a hell of a lot right then and there. You know? yeah. yeah, that was one of my favorite scenes of the whole. Me thing. too. 
Yeah. You know, same. you know, like, like that's like telling your friend who has a weight problem or a drinking problem or a drug problem, you know, you need to get your shit together. And I'm telling you this because I care about you, not because I don't care about you. you know? Yeah. That scene was really <clears throat> interesting to me. And that was a, that scene right there embodied the dynamic of the entire band to me because exactly John and Paul are looking right at each other while they're reminiscing about this, this big event in their lives, in all of their lives. And Ringo's not saying anything, which he didn't say much the whole time. George is there trying to kind of insert himself with these bits of wisdom that according to what Ken is saying, he put in the work to enlighten himself about. But Paul might look at George for a second and be like, yeah, yeah. But then focus back over to John and the two of them are kind of sharing. They're the only two people talking to each other about something that a that involved all of them in the room, mm -hmm. but they're only really talking to each other. And I thought this right here is uh, illuminating the whole dynamic of this band to me. And here's George just slightly off on your purview. And he's inserting some bits of wisdom that he took from this situation. Some mm -hmm. things he thinks are going to help everybody, some bits of enlightenment. And they're like, yeah, yeah, George. Yeah. But then going right back to looking right at each other in the face. And I thought I wouldn't want to be George Harrison in this band either. You well, know, go, that go would be back. hard. Well, go back when you put on your shoes and socks and watch this scene where just before <laughs> George says, well, I think I've quit the band or whatever words he says. Right. Um, they're doing the song two of us and they're as you say singing to one another it's almost as when you were saying that they were conversing back and forth it's almost like they were singing to one another finishing each other's sentences the whole bit so they're doing two of us and even though that song was written mostly about paul and linda going on drives and getting away from everything i think it was like yeah, it's the two of you, and it doesn't matter if I'm here or not. But George did have a weird chip on his shoulder because there was a scene where George is like, well, we need to get Clapton for this part. We need Clapton to be here. And John specifically looks at him with his eyes over his glasses, says, no, we need a George Harrison. Exactly. You know, flat out. That's interesting. Joe, were you going to say something about it felt like you were going to insert yourself a minute ago? No, no. <laughs> okay. Okay. The, ben, what about other... you? Oh, sorry. Ben. I just want to make sure everybody gets to say it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm okay. good. I mean, there's, I think Ken has really talked a lot about the, you know, the, the, the dynamic. Ken always of, talks. Yeah. A lot. Well, I know, but <laughs> right. yeah, right. but, but the dynamics of the band, um, yeah. there were, there were a lot of really those fun moments, uh, you know, you, yeah. know, you mentioned the, the, the two of us and the, them riffing on that. Um, when they were trying to do the ventriloquist. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, that I mean, was, that was a really, that. that was a really fun moment. Uh -huh. And again, there's other people in the room and it's, it's just them two feeding off one another. And you can tell that they, you know, they're, they're good friends, they're brothers, they're, they're, you know, they love each other. And That's they both a, have a, a future career in ventriloquism if their solo <laughs> careers hadn't right, worked out. Right. But but it's yeah, all of it was just the interesting dynamics, which we already kind yeah. of knew existed, but this really illuminated it. And um, it was great to see them. Yeah, yeah. Speaking but of notice that no, 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 notice that that happened after they had the breakthrough, after George Martin fixed the PA, they could hear each other, and then they do this thing where they write down all the song names. 
and they go, okay, we, we've got, we've got enough songs. We've got enough songs. So then they just would work on the songs over and over again. So the pressure was off and John did that thing where they're playing dig it. And he's going two of us long and winding road. And he's just like yeah. riffing, just doing that. So it was almost yeah. like a celebratory moment. Yeah, right. That's true. But before Speak that, it was all tension. Speaking of dynamics, yeah. um, we should talk about Billy Preston because good lord, yes, talk that's about what a, I was going to bring up. Yeah, talk about a force <laughs> for good. Um, my one one of my complaints is that there was almost no audio of Billy. Mm -hmm. There was almost no audio of even Yoko, um, mm -hmm. that, and that was true for a few. I just and you know Ringo doesn't say much at all, but I just wanted more from Billy. In fact, even on the show, even on the rooftop performance there's very little footage right there included. was no there was no billy cam no yes. and yeah the first that's... song i was like where where is me billy? too i thought like, i can I hear I billy is he up is. there i can hear it but i yeah. don't see that's, him that's a lindsey michael hogg uh thing because he's the director and he's like i'm filming the beatles i'm not right. filming the beatles and billy i Preston. wondered about that joe because I'm i thought is this, this has to be purposeful <laughs> that yeah. they are not including billy in the background of almost any of these shots yeah, there were, but you have what did he say? Six cameras? No, uh -huh. yeah, three ten, there. Ten. ten cameras. Not ten one of them was total. One of them couldn't have included Billy. Just oh, I'm a sure bit. they did. Well, I'm there was sure like there one footage, third, you know, but ten it was anyway, just yeah. edited out. I think he may have captured little bits of it, but was purposely edited out. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. That was sad because to even. Oh, I was, just, I was gonna say, they, Billy, Billy recharged everyone there. And made all those songs, which I'm not a fan really of too many of them, but he made them, he went, he took them from he good to great. them up. Yes, he yeah. did. They would have been lost without Billy Preston showing up. And as but, soon I mean, as he entered the room, they acted like adults yeah, all of a sudden. Exactly. Again, yeah, yeah. People got nice again. But I mean, it's no different than you go see a band live and tour. They've got a keyboard player, but you don't see that keyboard player half the time. They're That's backstage right. or kind of hidden behind amps. You can hear them, but you never see them barely ever depending on the band or something, you know, you may, they may bring out a touring musician who's playing keyboards and extra guitar and stuff. But most of the time that guy is off to the side of the stage or buried behind a wall of amps and you never see them. True. Can, can uh, you guys give me five minutes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. To right. talk, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sure. And, and, and I'm going to do it through my teeth just like this. No, um, <laughs> there, the one, the, crux of the biscuit the digestive biscuits if you will is the scene where they're waiting to see if john's coming back because at this point george has quit john's not showing up they can't get a hold of him they're sitting there ringo and paul and a few other people and ringo's and, falling asleep well ringo's yeah. sick at that point so he's actually physically ill and paul is joking saying why don't we get the best newscasters in the world from all around the globe and we will we will perform songs and then they will break in after like we do two songs. They say, here's a headline from what's going on right now. News. And then as we do each song, then we get to our last song. They cut to like, you know, the news broadcaster go. And with that, the Beatles have ended. You've just seen the last performance of the Beatles. They are no more late breaking news, you know, and Ringo just. He was already not feeling good. He like sinks in his chair like, oh, my God, how can you even fucking be joking about this? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then Paul 
has that moment, which was, I think, uncomfortable for anyone who has any degree of empathy, where he says, then there were two. And the camera stays there to the point where even I felt uncomfortable with it looking at Paul as tears are welling up in his eyes. Ringo had quit. George had quit. John would quit in a little bit. Alan Klein would come in, which cue the Darth Vader music anytime they talked about him. But um, <clears throat> Paul oh, needed man. the Beatles more than anything. It's weird that the guy who wound up with the most success afterwards felt he needed that structure and needed everything. And no matter if they wanted a daddy or a father figure, none of them were going to listen to him because Michael Lindsay Hogg tried to be that. George Martin tried to be that. Glenn Johns tried to be that. And they were rebuffed every time. The Beatles had grown into men from, from late teens. Mm -hmm. So we get that phone call where Paul is tapped on the shoulder. It's John on the phone. Paul like jumps up and runs to the phone and he comes back and he's like, yeah, we're back in business. We're good. We're all right. And then they have that meeting where uh, John is saying, you know, well, you, you're kind of leading things now. He's like, no, I don't want it. You've always been the leader. I want you to be the leader basically. Yeah. That's what Paul wants. Yeah. But I, I will say this, if, if John was on heroin, as much as I've read in books over the years, like mm -hmm. he was barely functioning, sign me up. You know, I can, I can do that. It just means you take a nap every once in a while. I, I've seen people on heroin and it's not as glamorous as that. So, but those, yeah. that moment on film, when he says, then there were two, did that make you yeah. anyone feel uncomfortable? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't notice it. Did you guys, I mean, I, I did, noticed yeah. it, but it didn't hit yeah. me really Joe. Yeah. Yep. And the ironic thing is now there are two and those are the two that are still alive. But, yeah. yeah. Well, I did say anyone that had a degree of empathy. So yeah. So it skipped over oh, me. Cause I don't have a lot of empathy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I don't know. And, and for some reason, I, I, this is probably only funny to me, but it just cracked me up every time it happened. There's, there's a bit where, uh, Michael Lindsay Ho goes to uh, John Lennon and says, Oh, we just filmed, we just finished wrapping up making the rock and roll circus for the Rolling Stones. And he said, But it'd be great if you could do some sort of intro for them, like, you know, something like, Now, ladies and gentlemen, your host, the Rolling Stones. And then almost every chance he got, yeah. whenever they would start into a song, Lennon just goes into that, slightly changing it up. And it just cracked me up every time he would do it. It was just like a like this little personal in joke for him, but I loved it. Yeah. There's the one time when George, they're listening to playback and the camera is right in George's face. They're in the playback room. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yep. And George like is just enjoying the music. And then he sees the camera looking at him and he looks back at it like, why don't you just go away? You know what I mean? And John, like sensing the tension, leans into the camera like a madman, like the Joker and says, ladies and gentlemen, your host, the bottles, you know, yeah. it was such a moment. You could see that he was looking out for George. Yeah. You know, and at the same time playing the fool, you know, yeah. something. Um, one of the other takeaways for me on the show was how impressive after watching them, I don't, I don't know that we ever got to hear one clean take of any of those songs. Mm -hmm. it, it, in fact, it was giving me a lot of anxiety. It's a little bit like watching <laughs> yeah. 
faulty towers or one of yes. those comedy of errors where the if there's never any levity from the errors i just mm -hmm. thought can we just have if i were in that room i would be going bananas can we just shut up for five minutes and get one clean take of don't let me down which i was sick to death of by the end of this show i never right. liked that mm -hmm. song in the first place can we get one clean take of don't let me down just so i know that we can and every time they would try to do that john would become a comedian Paul would stop because he had an idea, whatever. And then they go to the rooftop and it's flawless. It's this flawless <laughs> concert. I mean, granted, mm -hmm. they do get back like three times. Don't let me down a couple of times or whatever. But I kept thinking, is this Peter Jackson's editing of the narrative that we never got to see? The whole point was, yeah. you know, we're never, I'm never going to let you see them actually complete one one good take of this song until we get up to the rooftop so you can yeah. see how amazing that is or yeah because you're gonna have the payoff right or is this an example it's probably a mixture of both it's a mixture is it paul who's saying you know we're at our best when our backs are pushed against the wall mm -hmm. he goes up they go up to the rooftop and they turn it on and you've been watching seven hours of dysfunction and incomplete takes and here they are and they nail each one that was really, I'm getting goosebumps now just thinking about it. That was really impressive to me to watch Absolutely. these professionals yeah. and these artists pull it out when they needed to. You know, you hear about people who are true entertainers being able to do that. And yeah, I, but and that's, that's anybody right and in any band everywhere. You can suck yeah. all week long at practice. And as soon as the boom, one, two, three, four, yeah. it, something happens. Yeah. When you're in front of people, there's a that's what makes a band yeah. or breaks a band. If True. in that moment you can take a band that you know it's it's almost like guitar players, you can give somebody a dime store guitar or even a kid's instrument, and if they're a musician, they can make it sound like music. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, which speaking of which, uh, you know, you talked about songs you didn't really care for. I've never been the biggest fan of For You Blue and Old Brown Shoes, right? Mm -hmm. But I am now. Because I got to see yeah. George, you know, but by the way, kudos to George. He's the one who arranged get back. I don't know if anybody knows that, but he's like being a quarterback, yeah. like, okay, we'll have Billy do this. And then you take a solo. And John's like, man, my, and he's like, go John. Well, you do it. Now, you know how it feels. You get to yeah. do the solo, you know, go Johnny go. But we got to see George play piano like that. Oh my God. You know, and, and, and I always hated the piano sound in, um, uh, for you blue and i couldn't understand why they've got it, these great piano and george like i want it to sound like one of those old tin pan piano type things yeah and george martin when he was asked went over like oh okay and five minutes later it sounds like that yeah yeah i mean I they were trying to make the song like some old blues yeah. or skiffle track you know yeah. yeah mission accomplished i thought it was interesting that i never got tired of two of us but i got tired of don't let me down after like the third take on that show right that's what they kept falling back into. Um, and I did think I've never, I'm not super duper, I'm less familiar with Let It Be than I am the rest of the, the Beatle albums because mm -hmm. it's always been my least favorite. I don't really particularly like this period. So I was kind of wishing, I love the Beatles, but if I wish we had eight hours of do, uh, to document Sergeant Abbey Pepper Road or Revolver or, or something yeah. else. Or know? Abbey Road. Well, I yeah. threw that I threw that out on the socials a couple of days ago. I'm like, I don't know if I should be admitting this, but I don't own a copy of Let It Be. Really? <gasps> I didn't either until I a do. couple years ago. I mean, I, I do because I have that I, Beatles box set. Right there it is. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, I have I have the anthologies, which uh -huh. 
you know, all of the, 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 the takes that I enjoyed were, are on Anthology 3. So right. I never, so I never felt like I needed to go purchase Let It Be. I mean, I'm going to rectify that because, you know, I'm a completist. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I, I need to get it now. But um, it, it was one of those that I, it never resonated. So when I started the documentary, I was a little nervous that I wasn't going to enjoy it because mm -hmm. this is a period, like you said, John. Same this is a period that I don't particularly love outside of, I love Abbey Road. Abbey Road is one of my go-to albums mm -hmm. of all time, but the, some of the other albums during this time, yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. particularly love it. Yeah. Um, I, it was so it, only it later in life that I came to appreciate Ab, yeah. um, Let It Be and like the white album when I was younger. It yeah. Didn't oh. connect with me. Um, yeah. I think Long and Winding Road is probably my least favorite Beatles song of all. Oh, oh you I don't like it. Schmaltz, John. I, I don't. <laughs> I love the Schmaltz of that. I, I love, love it. Me too. Oh. Love it. Although I, was, I, as I, I mentioned and Ken had posted about that song and I mentioned, I commented on that where I think my perfect version is somewhere between the naked mm -hmm. version and the Spectre version. I wanted <gasps> to start out like the naked version, but end like the Spectre version. Right. And it's like weird people say, well, which is your favorite version? And like, I know as a good Beatle fan, I'm supposed to go to the company line and say, I hate Phil Spector's work and blah, 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 blah. But I, that's the one I heard first. So it's always yeah. going to be, that's the one that sounds right. Just like, I know I'm, I'm supposed to be a good Beatles fan, but my, I feel fine. Sounds like eggs frying on a skillet on the stove, you know, fast. But that's, boom, but that's also as opposed to you. the cap, the, uh, uk version but that's also part of you knowing okay specter is going to bring this to the table right so it's going to be different than what you're accustomed to with beatles i mean we i just recorded an episode where we where we talked about um songs of love and hate from leonard mm -hmm. cohen mm -hmm. and specter did an album with cohen it's freaking weird it's and and to me it's not a good album i didn't enjoy it it's not cohen um, but the guest was like, I love it because I knew that it's going to be weird. And it is. Mm. And, and so if you know in, in advance what you're going to get from a certain producer or, you know, a certain time period for those mm -hmm. those artists, if you know that in advance, then you can you can kind of put away your prejudices and biases. Right. Um, you know, well, to, Bob Ezrin yeah. shares the same uh, mystique gripe if yeah. you will you know the same thing with bob ezrin anything he does sounds like a bob ezrin album right you know yeah um same with same with jeff lynn oh that's for sure for sure wow, 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 somebody heavy. else if we get to one of our other topics somebody else i'm going to mention too okay <laughs> okay um something i'm another... talking about get back uh, are you okay I'm, I'm good i'm good okay yeah so a couple last little takeouts take out number one um i was surprised that john was a much better guitarist than i thought he was mm. for whatever reason mm. i've always thought of george as being the guitarist <clears throat> but it's john really it really is yeah, and i both i was not i never really realized that before um i thought the second part was kind of a slog to get through in certain spaces that was three hours long and i'm not saying i'm not saying any of this should have been shorter um it's just like i said you take out of it whatever you want to get out of it and if you find this particular dish 
delicious, then it t- all tastes good all eight hours of it. But if oh, you're gonna like, yeah, but I'm like the biggest Beatles fan, or I'm not the biggest Beatles fan. I love the Beatles. In my heart, I love the Beatles the most. Uh-huh. In my heart, I can't uh-huh. judge anybody else. I'm not a Beatles expert. I love the Beatles. There's a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't write anything on Wikipedia that I have to recant. So, uh, but, <laughs> but the thing of it is, is that uh, uh, as, as much as I uh, love them, it was a tough watch at times. Not just yeah. because they didn't pull the camera away, but it's like, how many times can you hear this? If I was, yeah. like, if I made my own cut of this, it would be a lot shorter. But then it might all look like it was all nothing but fun and games and a few arguments. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know how do you do that. So having yeah. said that, I think that us seeing this get back is setting us up to get Let It Be at some point, the original 1970 film. Now, mm-hmm. I, the point I have to make about that is that at this point, nobody in the Beatles camp was talking except through their lawyers, right? So Michael Lindsay Hogg, gets the movie he puts it out it's an hour and 21 minutes so it's under the 90 minutes great for theatrical distribution okay so that's one of the ticks that they have to do okay well who's going to produce this thing george martin wants nothing to do with it let's get phil Spector. paul fires off a letter upon hearing let it be no one is ever to do anything a ever produce our stuff like that without asking permission first there's a letter to alan klein where he just goes off on it you can find it online so none of the beatles were talking to one another somebody whether you like let it be the movie or hate let it be the movie whether you're a beetle who likes or hates it somebody approved it whether it was somebody in beatles management at that point which was alan klein whoever but we can't blame it all on michael Lindsay hogg because after watching it was this lennon. It, was, it was all john lennon but it was john um, yeah the thing that i take away from this is that everyone's talking about well see everything was fine with the beatles no that's denying another thing just as much as you know what michael Lindsay hogg did was basically tell his version of things because he would say let's go to libya let's get on a boat let's do this let's go to the pyramids of egypt no 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 for so for him this was nothing but frustration so he basically told his story yeah he he told (laughs) what he saw and peter jackson could step back because he didn't experience that except through it uh through the the footage that, that they found right so both of the things are true and had had the big event this thanksgiving be finally after you know since 1970 for the first time in widescreen on disney let it be we'd all be going yeah that that wasn't as good as we wanted it to be now we have both films that we can look at so will apple do like a major box set with get it be that's the word get it be get it be get back (laughs) and let it be and give us that because somewhere in the middle are both things and we will see yeah. more complete performances in let it be. So I'm only hoping that that happens. I hope that they restore the film in the same way that they restored the footage for get back. You know, those are the rumors that I've heard. Um, and that also that the Blu-ray DVD set is going to have even more footage that wasn't in the televised version, including like the full rooftop concert, because there was stuff from the rooftop concert that we did not see in this still. So and, uh, and all the digestive biscuits bits. Yes. But, but the thing is, is that you noticed that they were very clever not to give us the whole 
uh, rooftop thing because guys yeah. would have made out of high def audio a high def mm-hmm. version of that. So Apple has yet to deliver that unto us. Got to always hold a little bit. Mm-hmm. Back, so I wonder if there will be an audio component. <laughs> if yeah. there is, if there is a uh, release, I wonder if there will be an audio component. I mean, I just spent oh, I'm sure. $130 on my uh, uh, get it be box set or, or get, get, get it be my get back or let it be box set. Box my set. Beatles yeah. get back book and the magazine that came out and everything else. And it was interesting. There were two things that really spoke about our current times as far as entertainment. When they talked about getting a bunch of fans on a boat and taking them to a destination and George is like, no, who's paying for that? I'm not going on a ship with a bunch of beetle maniacs. It's not going to happen. Now that's how things are done. That's why we have kiss cruises and rat cruises and, you know, Jericho cruises or whatever, you know, now that's a standard thing. Look at all the money those guys lost out on, you know, but uh, the other thing is John says, We've got Linda taking pictures and he's taking pictures and we could, when we put this out, we could put the record out and we could put a book out and it'll be quite a package. Yeah. yeah. He was like foretelling the uh, deluxe edition. Oh yeah. <laughs> Here we are, you know? Yeah. Um, okay. I said everything I need to say about this. Okay. Yeah. I, I, uh, do you have any last words, Joe? No, I just that uh, I really enjoyed it and I, I will probably watch it again at some point too and buy whatever Blu-ray set comes out down the road. Yeah. Ben, we know you were running out. I want to get to the next topic. Two last things. Number one, I'm so bummed that I talked to Alan Parsons three months ago or mm-hmm. so and oh yeah, it, he is in the background a couple of a couple of these shots. For like 13 there. Seconds. seconds. I know, yeah. but I'm just... Yeah. But he's I there. Wish, I didn't know that I didn't think about that when I talked to him. I wasn't I was told to kind of lay off the Beatles anyway, but I wish I had known that he was I wish I had seen this before I talked to him and got his thoughts on just being in the room. And then second, one last thing I'll say about this is that it's been interesting on Facebook. I'm Facebook friends with a lot of the producers that I've had on the podcast and seeing them post or other musicians just in general post there or on Twitter that it's so that is so what it's like to make an album. Yes. Um, specifically an upcoming guest of ours is the producer, Stephen Haig. Mm. And uh, he posted on Facebook. Yeah. He posted on Facebook, just like, I'm not even the world's biggest Beatles fan, but they captured what it's like being in a studio for hours on end with a band, trying to find a song, trying to find an idea, trying to find a spark that everyone can get excited about over and over and over again. And I just thought if people like that, if people like Stephen Haig are, co-signing with this with this show saying that's what it's like being in those rooms number one i'm glad i'm not in those rooms and number two i take that as being the biggest kind of validation of endorsement exactly of all of this if the movie professionals are saying this is what it's like then that must be what it's like um okay let's move off of get back for a minute speed pigtailing or uh, um dovetailing dovetailing that's the word word i was looking for dovetailing off of this you guys had talked about, we had talked about wormholes um, this year, going in, picking a band or a genre or an idea or whatever, and just going deep on everything that wormhole has to offer. And I'm sure there are so many people out there who are now wormholing the Beatles because of Get Back. 
Oh, yeah. What are some of the biggest wormholes? Let's start with you, Ben. What are some of the biggest wormholes musically that you went through this year? And I'll tell you right now, I have about 15, 20 minutes till I got to go. So um, last week was our Spotify wrapped um, mm. stats and, and whatnot. And my number one listened artist was George Harrison. Oh. So I at the beginning of the year in fact going back to your last episode so eric miller co-hosted um an episode with me because wayne was on vacation and we did all things must pass uh with uh, ruben bedez and it that just really got me thinking i'm like i've listened to all things must pass a zillion times mm -hmm. but honestly i haven't listened to much else um i had cloud, that same thought cloud cloud mm -hmm. nine definitely Same. because that was that was during a time that where i was you know consuming everything so i you know i went back and i listened and and quite honestly a lot of the 70s output i don't really like but i listen i listened to it um i did i did like 33 and a third um that was probably next to all things must pass was probably my my favorite george harrison um Prob probably because he was doing some you know some some different stuff but that was that was my big wormhole was was uh, just, just listening to george harrison was it um, this year or last year where you went so deep on linda ronstadt it was it was most of last year but early okay. this year as well yeah yeah i own um i think there's only one linda album i don't own now because you can find you can find her stuff in the dollar bins, so it was yeah. really easy for me to put together a, a, a you know her her discography. I would say the other wormholes that I that I had this year were Heart. I really blew off Heart back in the day. Um, I grew up in Tacoma, Washington. That was not that was not quote unquote rock enough for for me and my in my my buds we were all the hendrix fans and then when of course you know soundgarden and uh, all of that came out that was kind of our our listening habit so you know it, it was even a joke when we got to college because they're like you know nirvana had just blown up allison chains was getting some notoriety soundgarden screaming trees and everybody's like who's your favorite band from seattle and we would go heart you know just as a joke just to nice. like punk punk the people yeah um and so i kind of blew them off and then uh earlier this year uh i i bought a record collection and there was the heart self-titled from 1985 mm -hmm. 85 86 and i just i put it on and i remembered how much i loved it and, and so I, I just started listening to the other content afterwards. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to go back. And that first album is just fantastic. And, and I, and I kind of, I kind of um, regret blowing them off for as long as I did. Um, Cause they're, they were a really fantastic band. Not to say that the late seventies, early eighties content is not mm -hmm. sketchy because yeah. it really is. But um, once they kind of figured it out in, in the eighties and kind of, you know, polished it a little bit, I mean, they, they, there were, there's some really good, good records out there. Yeah. So, mm. I like the, I love 80 five or whenever that self-titled from that yeah. on 
I love. Before that, I'm fine with the singles. Yeah. I don't, I never, I'm like you, the ones, the albums just pre that 85 self-titled, like Passion Works is a Oh, we, we used to make fun oof. of allies. Yeah. Like, like crazy. <laughs> like, yeah. That's such a, I mean, I, I tried to listen to it. I'm like, maybe with new ears, I'll yeah. like it. And I'm like, no. gosh, this is Barfola. No, yeah, it really it's is. Really not good. Yeah. Um, Joe, what, now when I, it's interesting seeing you on this and seeing your wall of music behind you and knowing <laughs> this, part of it, <laughs> right. And knowing so many of your sit and spin episodes are on like deluxe reissues. I always think mm. of you as the reissue guy. So I'm <laughs> curious what you of all people decided to deep dive this year. Well, I deep dive every, every year I pick at least, it seems there's two or three major Oh. Usually, have one another on. sometimes. Joe, and you usually froze it, for a second. Hang on a second. Is it he phrasing for everyone okay. else, or is it just yeah, me? Fra- yeah, okay. it's me too. Start, o- start over there, Joe. Um, every okay. year, you do what? Every year, I will deep dive into at least two or three artists. And I go hardcore. It's I will listen to every bit of music, watch every video I can, read any book I can on, on said subject generally. Um, uh, but this year I had three. They all kind of spun out of one another. And interestingly enough, it, it usually is something, a guest on one of your shows mm-hmm. or one of you guys' shows that sets it off. Mm-hmm. And this year it started with the psychedelic furs. Like mm-hmm. most of the summer, it was all the psychedelic furs. And then went into Todd Rundgren and Utopia. And because of that, sort of into the bands that Todd Rundgren produced, talking about producers who kind of leave their mark on other people's sound. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, the tubes. I had like Mm -hmm. a little runoff of the tubes, but I'm still deep into Todd Rundgren land right now. Mm -hmm. And just like rediscovering some of his albums that um, I didn't really give much of a chance to before, uh, like, a wizard or true star like totally re-fell in love with that album again this yes. year yeah so I, I got to see him in concert about a month ago and he played jealous the second <laughs> half of wizard which i had never listened to before going to that concert either and so i listened to the whole album i loved it too and yeah. uh there's a lot of todd there i've never gone as deep i'm like you i cherry pick uh, up till now yeah. i've always cherry picked a lot of his albums or utopia or productions or whatever ken what about you what did did you wormhole anything this year uh yeah but first i want to ask joe joe r a question if i may sure um how does your wife react to you doing these deep dives you specifically because i think john has his own room and i know you have a room but i know you're Whereas I think John's probably a little more respected in his house. I'm going to, I'm going to say that. Whereas like, I think you, if your kid comes in with a truck, it doesn't matter if you're recording or not, you're paying with the truck. You know what I mean? Yeah. So how does your wife tolerate you doing these deep dives? Because I know you're an obsessive dink like I am. And it's like, you sit down, you turn on the TV and instead of watching like vampire diaries or something, you're watching YouTube to see Tom Petty for the 99th time that week. You know what I'm saying? You're watching. Oh, but this performance of American girls was on Friday. This one was on top of the pops. And this was on the old gray whistle test. And your wife's like, I fucking can't stand this. You know, it's, do you uh, ever get that or does she tolerate your bullshit? He would be like, who is it now or yeah. still? 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> so well, those are usually her. Oh, this is who we're on now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's what I did to my wife. The, the the fourth day and on the fourth day there came a prophet. Um, I sat down at the couch because I usually finish what I'm doing through the day or get done with my meal or whatever. And I go out in the living room, I pick up the remote and she knows she's in for hell with YouTube or something. Right. Because it's, oh, yeah. we're going to listen to the clash for two weeks or whatever. Right. But uh, she she enjoyed get back. But she was like, I can't take the same song over and over again and yeah, like and there's the moments the she was like really into it and another time she's like can we get to the good part right but the thing is is that uh i pick up the remote and she goes so what are you watching tonight like am i going into heaven or hell here and i said yeah, sometimes <laughs> night four they've just finished the rooftop concert and now they start recording abbey road and she said you've got to be kidding me yeah and I said, yes, yes, sadly, sadly well, I am. <laughs> yeah. I mean, luckily in one way, we work opposite shifts of each other because we have to because of childcare issues and stuff. So we're lucky if we see each other half the time. It's mm-hmm. usually just in passing tag team. Um, uh-huh. But I, I I, have to a lot of time, like that's what's been great about YouTube is that I'll be watching a lot of stuff on my iPad while my son is watching some mm-hmm. children's show or playing on his uh his iPad doing schoolwork right. or something. So it's just like, while you're busy watching Blippy, I'm going to be watching this, you know? Yeah. Well, so as, far as, as, as far as things that I got into this year, some Jago asked me to help him out with his podcast. So I bought a Vapors box set. Nice. Thank you, Ken. You're Thank welcome. You. <laughs> you should tell all these, all these people that I would like to interview that not only should you let Ken Mills interview you, but he's going to listen to my show and buy everything so i bought some crusados yep. and sweet i've become a sweet fan where i kind oh, of wasn't they were more like a love sweet you know yeah. like there's certain bands i just never got into but that's a whole nother literally another episode um so as far as things that i got into this year there's those um susie and the banshees oh good one nice which was kind of like something i never really got into you know what i mean like yeah. last year i did the the, the uh, what is it? The the the, the, the Pichy mod, I think they're called, right? No, Depeche mode, of course. Depeche I'm just mode. kidding. But uh, I got into them last year, and in much the same way, uh, Harry Styles uh, took me by surprise. I it's really fantastic. like Harry Styles. You know, in the in the same way, he's like. There's a lot of there's a couple people that on board. I've been preaching yeah. that for years. Excellent. There's a couple artists that I really dig that if you're not paying attention to these guys in 20 years, you're going to be wishing you had just like the Foo Fighters having their moment. Right. And by the way, I'd like to say that we're going on the 20th years of when you say people name a new band you like the Foo Fighters, that it's yeah. time to get past that, folks. You know, it's, that's literally old news. I love yeah. the Foo Fighters, but, you know, they're not a yeah. new band, no. but Adele, Lady Gaga yola and harry styles if you're not checking those out i'm not sure you know when people say there's no good music being made it is you're purposely not looking at it yeah 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 and i will i will totally agree with you there um like i i put together my my top five favorite albums of this year and three of them are former guests oh nice my podcast great um and there's there's great music out there and look 
if you're if you're not if you're not finding it um it's on you us, you're not us, looking in the right place you're not looking because because yeah. it's it's out there well yeah. the problem sure. is, that is that it's been people... my problem this year especially is not having the time to really look for it yeah because yeah. like Ken posted the uh, he reshared a post of NPR's best albums of the year. And I'm like, I have never heard of 90 percent of these bands, much less heard anything by them, Yeah, yeah which isn't too. to say they're me bad too. or not good. I'm just like, who right. the hell are these people? I mean, I worked in music stores for 25 to 30 years. And once I stopped doing that, that was another reason why the show stopped happening for me, too, because I was kind of like not having my finger on the pulse of what was going on all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was harder to stay in touch with it. I see myself diving into fix. Like I have like three or four fix albums. Mm -hmm. It's time to repurchase those and to like go through the whole thing. That's great. I'm going to be talking to Sai here pretty soon. Yeah, why don't you just rub it in? No, no, no. I'm just saying that because I'll probably be doing a fix deep dive here in a minute too. Hey, John, this is me with an empty cup. Can I bore a cup of Cy Kernan? What? You know, you know, mean? well, you know, when like the old thing, I'm going to go over to the neighbors just to see what oh, they're doing yeah, and I'll ask yeah. for a cup of sugar or something. Yeah. You know? okay. Can I, can I bore a cup of Cy Kernan, you know, so <laughs> hook a brother up, I will. you know, maybe I wouldn't be a former podcaster if I could get the John Lamoureux <laughs> guest. You've got the good contacts. Like what was that movie? Glenn Glary, Glenn Ross. You've, oh, got yeah. the, you've got the A-list contacts. <laughs> I'm over here. It, it anyway but uh no, no it, it's it, worked out nicely yeah it's worked out good except um, they're not on my show humble brag. so humble yeah. brag, yeah. Uh, which right. is my new band by the way humble brag good. um so as far as wormhole i mean i wormhole every guest we ever have on i mean you have to you do like i was i had i was putting off having michael sadler from saga on for years because i thought that means i gotta go listen to every saga album <laughs> And I like Saga a lot, but I only knew a few of their albums, but now I got to go listen to all of them. And when am I going to have time to do that? And you can only be on the list for so long. That's true. That's true. (laughs) And then I thought, well, look, why don't I set up Michael Sadler, schedule it and then go listen, because then I'll have a reason to go listening to. Don't listen to everything. Just go "Hmm, heads or tailed. Which which one do I want to play next? Well, I try. Well, good Sorry, one. I, was, I, I was get trying, that. I, that's yeah, okay. that's one of the better saga albums, by the like. For it instance, is. it's uh, it's looking like I might be interviewing Leo Sayer here pretty soon, oh, and hmm. um, I, I got to go listen to every Leo Sayer album now to get ready well, to good. talk to Leo Sayer, which I'm so, happy to do. But so it's this a is of- actually a commercial, for, a, a no, commercial for the no. hustle in the sense that listen. If you are a celebrity or star and you'd like to talk to John Lamro, he will purchase everything you've ever done. So right away, that is a good thing to do, or at least let's do it on Spotify. That's there you go. Don't you ruin go. it, mm. man. I had you all set up. I need to be your hype man. Yeah, Sorry, our, yeah. Damn, yeah. Boy. Our, our guests should know that Wayne is going to go buy a T-shirt of your yeah. band yeah. if you come on the podcast. That's pretty much what happens on ours. Nice. I have no problem buying music, but it's so easy just to stream all of the Leo Sayer albums on oh, Spotify sure. while I'm working. Yeah. I think Ben and I come in the same place that we're both in these rooms working all day. And so it we can listen to every Linda Ronstadt album while we're working. Yeah. Um, See, that was the I've thing. Also, yeah, <laughs> I, right. I used to, get to listen to music all day at work every day. Now I can't. So Right. So um, I, I haven't, and I post you, most of my deep dives when I do them 
lately I've been like ranking Big Axe albums from best to worst. Um, earlier this year, I kind of like I realized I had never listened to every Def Leppard album in o- order. So I thought I, I didn't think I'd ever even listen to Hysteria because, you know, three quarters of it was on the radio. I don't oh, know that I'd ever listened to Hysteria every, before. Seven every day for yeah. most of 1987 and into 88. Yeah, so. I, most people did. And so I um, I did a few of those for uh, Def Leppard. And I think my favorite one of the year was Sly and the Family Stone. I had um, nice. I had never listened to every I'd listened to the peak Sly period, but I'd never listened to the post peak period, which supposedly those last four or five albums are just awful. I thought they were great. And uh, yeah. I had no problem listening to all that stuff. That was a, that was a blast. Yeah, to me, that was like when I was on the Todd Rundgren thing, there were two Utopia albums, like the last two Utopia albums. So for some reason, I never yes. really bothered listening to, to that much. And the last Utopia album, PLB, yes. is fantastic. I agree. There's like, these excellent power like, How have I never listened to this 30 years that I've yes. never like, paid attention to this album? It's fantastic. Yes. Yeah. So I, I um, and um, I've been doing. I've been picking some themes throughout the year. Like for the last three months, I've been doing a first listen. So I've been trying to listen to albums like Hysteria that I had never listened to before. And they're huge or the, most of them are big or important or whatever. And I've been posting those on Twitter every day. In February, I did a, a Black History Month daily album where I was, but I didn't want to listen to, I wasn't going to listen to Thriller. I was going to listen to, or like, you know, Lady Soul, I was going to listen to an obscure Aretha Franklin album. And uh, that was a lot of fun. But so I, I feel like I'm constantly wormholing something because I got to research them for the show. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Anyway. OK, I think we're hold at time. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, One yes, last yeah. thing. My biggest binge was vinyl this year. Mm. I, I had become an anti-vinylite. Yes. You know yeah. what I mean? And like me. COVID, here we are. We're stuck at home. And I'm missing the Beatle albums that I sold at one point. You know what I mean? Uh, There were some I retained, some I let go because I was trying to raise money to move. And uh, so it happened. But I got into vinyl and man, I I love the idea of vinyl. But to me, vinyl is like a, a book. It's a book cover. That's really what vinyl yeah. is. Good you point. have every memory that you have in that thing. And I don't get the same excitement. That literally is what it is, is the cover. I think if had when they made CDs kept a big ass cover, we would just be looking at that as the thing. You know, everyone talks about the warmth of vinyl and all that stuff. Nah, it's, it's there if you've got like a $2,000 system and then you have to wash them and you have to air dry them and you have to, you know, people using glue. And like, I went down this rabbit hole of vinyl care. It's like, <gasps> you actually played that album without cleaning it first. You know, back in the seventies, man, we'd like, you don't have to do that. Uh, sneeze on our records and no one cared you know what i mean and they sounded great now vinyl is such a precious fragile thing (laughs) take the ultimate oh you you don't deserve to own a vinyl and that's the other thing people that say i look at this is my collection of vinyls you know the smack hand wants to come out it's records (laughs) vinyl is more than one sometimes if that's what that means Smackety, smackety, smack. All right, I'm done. Okay. The plural vinyl is vinyl. Uh, guys, I gotta go. I love I love you all. I'm so glad I love we did you this. More. I don't know if that's true. It's true. But I really do. I'm so grateful for our friendships and that we do these things. Yeah, sure. Thank you for chatting with me and for being my me buddies too. every day. I love it. I'm so grateful for all three of you, honestly. Thank Thanks, you. John. Thank you. Right back at all of you. 
honestly, okay. I, I expect all you cats to forget me at some point. Like, oh, Ken, yeah, he's, he's like that old band from the late 60s or early 70s that everyone says, oh, he was real influential. I've never bought anything but the greatest hits. So we, there you go. We won't forget you until we redo our logo again. That's Don't right. you forget <laughs> about me. All right. I'll I got to turn this off. I got to go. All right. All right we'll see you. Bye, guys. See you, John. See you.